OK, we're going to begin this next story. It's called The Saga of Dick Sanders and the Silver Teaspoons. Now, this is a one-off story that spans the years from 1950 to 1971. It isn't in any of the It's a Rum Life books. This is a one-off, and as you listen to it or read it, you'll understand why. These silver teaspoons, with the crest of the RNLI, have prompted this story, which takes us back as far as 1950. We will begin the saga here. This is, in fact, the year that the chap who I assume is my father took his escape from my mother to seek his fortune in pastures new. Background. I should explain to avoid further complications that my father is not my father on my birth certificate. The certificate names another chap who was married to my mother previously. It's just that she did not bother to have any changes made when she became divorced and remarried in 1947. Uh, in actual fact, this could-not-be-bothered attitude has left me with birth certificate problems at every hand's turn in my entire life. From my wedding day, social security, passport and countless other situations, and still ongoing in 2021. Back in 1947, I actually went on their honeymoon to London. I was three years old, but that is another story. Let's continue with Dick Sanders, who, in 1950, had been married to Hilda Sanders for three years and living at 22 Bilton Grove Avenue, Harrogate in Yorkshire. This is in the UK. Hilda and Dick had just had a baby daughter, and this caused some friction. Dick had recently changed his job, and after many years of ill health and trying his hand at various different occupations, Dick had begun to work for GPO Telephones in Harrogate. Further back, as you see, if I may explain a little further, Hilda was by way of a minor heiress. Her family were from the Baines of Nidderdale, Nidderdale in central Yorkshire, this family was very prominent locally, that is in Nidderdale, Ripon and Harrogate, in the 18th and 19th centuries, and indeed could trace their origins back to Odo, the half-brother of William the Conqueror. The family even had their own coat of arms. Hilda's grandfather had been a prominent builder and slater in the town of Harrogate, and in fact the family had even owned their own slate quarry. If we look briefly at the census of 1891 for Beach Villa House, Station Parade, Harrogate, we can see that William Baines and his wife Anne had three children, John, Sarah and Mary Annie. I imagine it must have been on the death of William that the family moved out to 43 Dragon Avenue, Harrogate, they also had a home uh, in the countryside at Farnham, between Harrogate and Ripon. The census for 1911 shows Hilda's father, Jack Munford, was courting Annie and was visiting Dragon Avenue at that time. Hilda's mother, Annie, was married to Jack Munford 
in the autumn of 1913. It looks very much as if Jack Munford, whose home was in York, had beaten a hasty retreat shortly after the marriage, when confronted with living with Annie's formidable family. From that day they never met again. Hilda had been born on the 28th of February, 1914. You will have to read about, you will have read about playboys, well-to-do men who had money and did not really have to work. It looks like Hilda was a playgirl. She had her own car, although I believe she never took a driving test. She was driving long before they were introduced in 1935. In 1939, she married Robert Bob Hudson. They married and set up home at 36 Dragon View, Harrogate, a very pleasant three-storey terrace house overlooking a large portion of the Stray and tree-lined road opposite. Quite when and where Dick came into the picture, I'm really not sure. Even though I lived with my grandmother in Harrogate for many years during the early 1950s, she was never keen to enlighten me in the murky depths of her earlier life. In fact, Dick's family now lived in Hursley Terrace off the Knaresborough Road in Harrogate, but had previously lived in Oxfordshire and South Yorkshire, close to Wentworth Woodhouse. Dick had been to art college for a while. He was a good artist. He had also been an apprentice tailor and was good with a needle. In the late 1930s and early 1940s, he was unlucky to suffer from ankylosing spondylitis. There was no cure for this disease at that time, and I believe that is still the case. During the 1940s, he spent several years in a hospital bed at the specialist orthopaedic hospital at Oswestry on the Welsh border. He eventually had his back set solid in a new revolutionary treatment to try and stop the spondylitis curvature of the back developing. It did work, although for the whole of the 1950s he wore a leather-covered, very heavy steel spinal support from neck to waist. This was strapped around his body in several places to stop his spine moving. He did not have to sleep in this very heavy apparatus, but did have to wear it for every waking hour from the, from the 1940s into the early 1960s. So you can see Dick had his problems apart from living with a partner who was wholly dominant. He got away. In Harrogate, at this time in 1950, he had a very understanding boss, and it looks as if it was with the support of his boss that he managed to get transferred to the Peterborough Telephone Manager's Office as a new member of the telephone sales team. In fact, Dick was to stay with the GPO telephones at Peterborough for the rest of his life, until he died in 1971 at the age of 53. Back in 1950, Dick had managed to move without telling Hilda, who was, to say the least, a very forceful lady. She'd been brought up among other forceful ladies, namely her grandmother Baines and her great-grandmother Annie Leake. Hilda's mother, Annie, was estranged from her husband Jack Munford, as we've mentioned. In fact, it looks very much as if, as I mentioned earlier, 
He was also a victim of strong women as he had only been married to Annie a few weeks before he returned to his native city of York and as, as I said before they never met again. Jack eventually retired from his lifelong career as a butcher in York and went to live in Scarborough to spend more time in his one and only real passion of cricket. I should mention here that Jack Munford died in 1960, but in those last ten years or so, we would go to visit him every month at his home in Scarborough. I think he had a soft spot for Dick. Annie, Hilda's mother, would go with us from time to time, but always stayed down in Scarborough town while we visited her husband. Back in 1950, Annie was now living at 36 Dragon View in Harrogate, the family's previous home, and where Hilda had set up home originally in 1939 with Bob Hudson. Hilda and Dick must have financed the purchase of 22 Bilton Grove Avenue by selling the Dragon Avenue house. In fact, as time went on, Hilda's house moves were largely financed by Annie also moving, one step behind. Family money was now slowly dwindling. Nick's disappearance prompted brisk action in the home at 22 Bilton Grove Avenue and Hilda soon brought out her big guns to eventually convince Dick's boss that he had to spill the beans and let on where he had gone to. Annie was called in to look after the young baby. I do remember travelling down to Peterborough by train with my mother and staying at the Bull Hotel where I was left to entertain myself while Hilda did some more sleuthing in the town. To make the story more easy to follow, I'll make it brief at this stage. The two did get together again and eventually moved to Boston in South Lincolnshire, where Dick's office was to be. His patch as telephone salesman for the north of the Peterborough telephone area took him north to a line from just a little above Skegness at Chapel St Leonard's on the coast and down to Spilsby and then the line wiggled somewhat between Boston and Sleaford. The Lincoln telephone area in those days included Sleaford and Horncastle and across the coast to Louth and Mablethorpe. The years we are talking about were still not long after the Second World War. In fact, telephone salesmen were not strictly needed. Dick's job was mainly placating folk who could not get a telephone at all. Then there were those who could, who were largely told that they had to share the line with someone else. Telephone lines were like the proverbial hen's teeth and likely to stay that way for several years. Development nationally in the late 1940s and 50s after the war was slow. The country was largely bankrupt and there was hardly any money for anything, never mind new telephone wires. During this time of the early 1950s I remained in Harrogate with grandmother Annie Munford as I was already settled in school there. She was now installed at 22 Bilton Avenue and the sale of the Dragon View house, paying or part paying for the new family home for Dick and Hilda at 129 London Road, Boston. Every school holiday, I was put on a train with the guard at Harrogate, wearing a label of some sort, stating where I should be deposited. 
I never felt like a real passenger, as this odd sort of travel did leave me with some considerable freedom on the different trains. These journeys took me through exciting places like Doncaster, and I soon became an avid train spotter and fan of the Ian Allen books. The family car down in Lincolnshire at this time was a 1940s Austin 16. Dick needed a car to get around his patch and was daily involved in visiting his clients up and down the area based on Boston. As telephone facilities improved, then Dick was able to offer major clients better services. One such was the Butlins Holiday Camp at Skegness, where during the season telephone services were much in need, but out of season the demand dropped to virtual zero. All this demanded on the demand on the system took a great deal of sorting and diplomacy was Dick's middle name. Consequently, he became involved in the business community of the area. Female attention. He was obviously a popular chap, good-looking, slim, with black hair and moustache to match. He had to be well-dressed for his job, and this attracted considerable female attention. Hilda was never amused. Dick loved his cars and back in Harrogate early in their marriage, had persuaded Hilda to fork out some of her family money at that time to fund a taxi business in the town. They had two cars, a big Wolsey six-cylinder and a Ford V8 Pilot. More of these is covered in It's a Rum Life, Book One. Back to Lincolnshire, and Dick had an accident one day at Wrangell, on the edge of the Fens coming home from Skegness. He diked the old Austin in a dike so deep the car could not be seen from the road. He was unhurt and a replacement had to be found. This resulted in Dick calling on various of his car dealer telephone clients to find him something he himself fancied rather than Hilda always making the decisions. During the 1950s and early 60s, Dick managed to bring home a huge variety of cars that were very different to that old, solid and staid Austin. There were a Panhard PL17, a very small Renault 4, a Vauxhall Wyvern, a Ford Zephyr 6 Mark I, and then the best of all in the early 60s, a 1958 Mark II Ford Zodiac Automatic. I joined Dick and Hilda at Boston in 1953 after my sojourn with Grandmother Munford in Harrogate. Life was a roller coaster at 129 London Road, Boston. I ought to mention here that Dick was not mechanically minded. At any woodwork, joinery, etc., he was brilliant. But to the day he died, he never really realised that cars needed regular servicing. Admittedly, in those last years, his mind must have been full of far more important technical knowledge. Both parents smoked heavily, and although Dick had a good position, money was always short. Hilda took a job in the offices of Fogarty and Company at Mount Bridge in Boston, but when she gave that up, the situation was always more of a strain. Another project was launched in 1954 when Dick and Hilda decided to try the pub trade and bought into the living of the Coach and Horses public house on the main road at Wrangell. 
This was on the main route to Skegness and the coast. The sale of 22 Bilton Grove Avenue at Harrogate provided the ingoing, and Grandmother Munford found herself moving into the house at 129 London Road, Boston in Lincolnshire, where she used her undoubted talent for hard work and ingenuity to support the family by filling the house with lodgers. The pup expedition only lasted 18 months or so. Dick still kept on with his full-time GPO job, but when they came out of the pub, we all had to fit into 129 London Road. It was a big house, fortunately, and as we still needed those lodgers to help the family finances, I ended up sharing my bedroom with a chap from Holland, who was the manager of a business on Boston Dock. Cars. In the early 1960s, Hilda came to a little money when her father Jack Munford died and she persuaded Dick to buy a new car. They chose a new Cortina, but it was a 1200 model and those early cars were full of problems. They were nothing like that solid old Zodiac and the Cortina proved a big disappointment. It did not stay. True to form, Dick still managed to find some superb second-hand cars, particularly from his long-time friend Pete Taylor, the local Renault dealer. These included numerous Renault Dauphines and a Renault Floride open-top sports. There also followed a Renault R8 and a Renault R1100. By this time in about 1964, Dick was about to change jobs. He was one of the most experienced members of the team at Telephone House at Peterborough, and his experience in those post-war years of austerity had brought him countless contacts in the world of business and local government. Dick was to become a planner, investigator, and responsible for the future planning and development of telephone services in the whole of the Peterborough area. Things, things were changing, and future needs for telephones and all their add-ons were escalating fast. As telephone lines had become more available, then other facilities were developing alongside. Teleprinters and fax machines were beginning to appear. Dedicated lines were available for these new additional services, and much more was around the corner. Dick was attending national meetings, where the future of telephones was planned for over 20 years ahead. He met with the local authority planners to look at where population growth was to occur in the region, together with the growth of business parks and industrial development. In 1965, Dick had a heart attack when the family were living at Bridge House, Swineshead Bridge, a house he rented through one of his numerous business contacts. Annie Munford was by now well established at 12 London and Road and helping the family finances by filling the house with lodgers once again. Annie was an astute economist. Dick recovered and his job changed, took him to actually live in Peterborough and with Hilda they set up home in new apartments overlooking the cathedral from the east. The training film. It was while he was here that Dick created an educational film strip for the GPO Telephone Central Training School in London. The subject of the film was the future of data transmission. In his evenings at home he drew a series of watercolour illustrations, almost 40 in total, 
it was a veritable comic strip. Remember, he was a good artist, and these were all converted to film, and he added a lengthy commentary. In 1966, computers were still only available to governments and very large businesses. They were still enormous. Personal computers, as we know today, did not become a fact until 1981, and even then they were a long way from being available to everyone. Nevertheless, back in 1966, Dick Sanders was creating national teaching aids to explain what was going to happen in the future. The telephone service knew that computers were going to come in a big way, and come to stay. In the meantime, they were developing data transmission with their ex existing teleprinter and fax services, and changing their ancient mechanical telephone exchanges to cope with the coming digital technology. Dick continued to work on these developments throughout the Peterborough telephone area until he died in 1971 at the age of 53. In his last few years at work, the bosses would not let him drive because of his previous heart problems. They provided him with an official car and chauffeur for all his business trips around the area. Back at home, Hilda still controlled the purchase of cars for family use, Fortunately, she did like that little Renault Dauphine, and there always seemed to be one of those around somewhere. Now the couple were living at Eastgate, deep in St James, just north of Peterborough, a house with a large garden that had a river frontage to the River Welland. The garden here did give Dick some pleasure in those final years. Hilda was still very difficult to live with. There was no money to spare except for cigarettes and she constantly threatened him with all sorts of unpleasantness. Dick's one real enjoyment in life was playing golf. This got him out of the house and away from home. He had begun playing while living in Boston in the late 1950s and he had initially joined the South Rawsby Golf Club just on the edge of Sleaford. A Ford Zephyr could get there from Boston in a little over half an hour on those empty straight roads of 1958. And indeed, I was a junior member of the same club. The green fees for junior members were very cheap in those days. So when Dick died in 1971, before the vultures descended on the scene, I managed to make sure I had Dick's golf bag in safe custody. I'd never managed to continue playing regularly once I'd left home. It was just too expensive. But I had hopes of one day doing so. A few months after his funeral, at which I must add, literally hundreds of colleagues and business friends paid their respects, I at long last had a look at what his golf bag contained. And that is where I found those silver teaspoons. They were hidden from prying eyes. It was something Hilda never knew about, and I never told her they were there. Dick had latterly been a member at Burley Park Golf Club near Stamford, so whether the spoons had come from some fundraising event at the club, we're not really sure. I've asked the RNLI if they can supply any information about the origin of the spoons, and we shall wait and see. Just to clarify this, the RNLI is the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, the charity that runs all the lifeboats that save life around the coasts of Great Britain. It's a charity. 
I never did get to play golf regularly. I used its clubs from time to time to play occasional games with friends in the 1980s and 1990s. I found I could still hold my own and play reasonably well, but the cost was always too steep to go any further. As we all know now in the 21st century, data transmission did take off in a big way, and now the telephone lines are something quite different to what they were back in 1950. This story is by way of a very very brief illustration of the difficult life of Richard George Dick Sanders. His life was relatively short and not happy. I have not delved into the depths of the everyday trauma he had to live with. Sufficient to say that he had real talent that never properly saw the light of day. I often wonder what he could have achieved if Hilda had not chased off and tracked him down again in 1950. Ruth and I have had a good, the good fortune to enjoy a happy marriage for many years, but we have seen, more than once, men like Dick, good, decent and very talented men, who were not happy with their lot and did not live to make old bones. There we are, that's the end of that little story brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. Now, to end the stories, we have a, a different ending. Uh, we don't have any shop anymore. Since Covid, we decided to make all our publications free to download anywhere. Um, you can read them any way you like, when you like. You can download them to any device. There are eight complete books uh, over 175 of these audio stories, um, almost 100 videos, and you can access them all through our new website. There's all the links there. The address is www.itsarumlife.com. The spelling is I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E.com. Itsarumlife.com. There we are. There's hours of interesting entertainment on that site. Um, hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening.